find a seconder usually when I propose this, but I don't care. I don't need a seconder. My own opinion is enough for me, and I claim the right to have it defended against any consensus, any majority, anywhere, any place, any time. And anyone who disagrees with this can pick a number, get online, and kiss my ass. <laughs> and I can't find a... So, first things first, Alabama State Bar Rules of Professional Conduct, Rule 7.2e, requires the following communication and all attorney communication, the following language and all attorney communication. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of legal services performed by other lawyers. My name's Harry Steele, Backwood Southern Lawyer. My buddy Paul Ripps here with me today. We have Reigns Russian via Google Hangouts. And um, we have a... Uh, Interesting show today. Uh, if you caught the beginning of our broadcast, Paul, why don't you tell us how you came across this little nugget? Well, I understood that Fairhope Rotary was going to have a little run in the morning. And uh, so I Googled Fairhope Rotary and then all of a sudden was offered many types of Viagra. I, I kind of like that big boy they show. But anyway, anyway, I don't know what that's all about. I don't know if that's a consolation prize after the run or what, but uh, very interesting. I, I doubt Fairhope Rotary knows yet that they're advertising Viagra. So <laughs> we'll see. Reigns, how, how do they hack a site like that? Do you know? You know, probably because whatever – 85 year old man who's hard in charge of that website the password, password is password, password. <laughs> yeah and it just i mean who could resist something like that i mean paul are you a member of the fair hope rotary club uh, no <laughs> no i'm not I, I mean i can understand why i heard their uh, requirements for joining are pretty damn hard uh, oh well uh hard <laughs> that might be the key word here <laughs> i'm back in middle uh, school but but if they're giving away viagra maybe i'll consider it <laughs> well, I don't know. The last time they gave Viagra to all the people at the Fairhope Rotary Club, all it did was make all the lawyers stand up for the whole meeting. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. All right, folks. We're in Podcast 17. and um, We'll call it the meltdown. Yeah, the meltdown. Um, the meltdown. <clears throat> Rip Report Consumer Group. And first of all, let me start off by saying that uh, Fairhope just experienced another sewer spill, a common but uh, Fairhope is one of the only cities on the eastern shore working hard at uh, trying to do something. They got a good bit of money from BP and everything. But the um, uh, what what brings to mind me is that you know here you got a city council that just spent two point seven five million dollars for land that they can't use, <clears throat> and now at the last council meeting. They want to take that same land that they can't use that they paid that much money for and lease it for farmland. So you got two point seven five million worth just sitting there being leased for farmland when they could have put it into infrastructure. That's the type of things that uh, really grate on me when I see the misuse of uh, city funds like that. But that's your council. So has anybody? watched the first episode of the A&E show called 60 Days In. Did you watch it, Paul? No. So this is season six, and what they do is they take, they take what we would call ordinary people from ordinary walks of life, 
and um, put them undercover in different prisons around the country. And, um, you know, Etowah County Jail is infamous. Um, I can tell you that I was the chief executive officer there, and when I watched this, when I when I watched the show, one of the things the sheriff pointed out was that a hundred. So it's a it's a direct supervision jail. It was overbuilt strategically at the time by the county commission at the behest of the sheriff um, to house federal uh, immigration and customs enforcement. Uh, right prisoners under a contract with the U.S. Marshal Service. So Edo County was going to make all this money housing these federal prisoners. And, of course, there was no, it was a one-sided contract. If, the, if, a, if they needed the space, they'd pay us $35 per person, you know, per head. Well, there was, there was no minimum. They didn't have to keep anybody in there. But we had to keep it staffed as if it was full all the time. You, you get that right, Reigns. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. so it never produced the money that it was supposed to for, you know, to help supplement the county coffers when it came to law enforcement. What it did do was, um, and this is what I call the Andy Griffin law. Um, so you remember Otis, the town drunk. So he'd get locked up and uh, Andy would put him in jail and Aunt B would bring him supper from Andy's house, right? So Andy, at the end of the month, would do a head count and send that number to Montgomery, and Montgomery would send him a dollar twenty-five a day for the food stuff that and expense he went to of feeding Otis. That was on the books in, until October first, two thousand nineteen. I've been bitching about this since two thousand three. Um, so back in this point in time, uh, rains. You're you're a Mississippi boy. Tell us about uh, Mario Sintobi, one of the most uh, oh, infamous people who ever escaped from Etowah County Jail in Shawshank a, style. So go for it. I, I, got a, I got a lot of deep background on that guy. That uh, He was a Gulfport, Mississippi firefighter. And I actually know a guy that trained under him. I know a couple, two guys that trained under him, actually. He was a rescue diver. He was a dive master. He was basically the head of underwater rescue teams for the entire Mississippi Gulf Coast. They, all the three coastal counties, Alabama, uh, including uh, Baldwin and, and uh, Mobile County, you know, we service them as well. And even into uh, St. Tammany Parish in Louisiana, you know, they were the, the Gulfport Fire Department had this crapjack dive rescue team so if you had a problem that's who you called and sure enough old Centrobi got called back when uh, the sunset limited derailed and his that's team right. was the one that went over there and so i think the timing of this is kind of so, so the timing of this is kind of interesting too um the sunset limited derailed right over here in the mobile tensile river delta and um i don't yeah. remember how many passenger cars went into the water but I remember the part of the story where Santobi was given some kind of commendation by the governor of the state of Alabama because he refused to stop diving until he got all the bodies out of the car, right? That's so, right. He was a... So he was a... And, and Paul can chime in on this. Just I, I know this is a broad generalization, but 
most people who are comfortable in that claustrophobic situation of a dry suit and all that kind of stuff, you just don't see them breaking bad all that often. Usually it's somebody of even temperament to be a good right wreck diver and, has, and, and has also, been my experience. Well, also, I, I remember reading about some of the dives that he made and how he recovered some of the bodies. You have to remember that you're crawling in these cars going after people deceased in water where you may only be able to see a foot and you're looking for bodies. So yeah. I think I don't see how the man did what he did that I read about uh, without being affected. I mean, and what would be more terrifying than uh, so what happened was there was a barge came along and hit the railroad trestle and they didn't report it. So then here comes the train. And it goes off in the drink. Imagine how terrifying that would be. Right uh, after it. In fact, the thing that I found interesting about that when it happened, I happened to be watching TV, and CNN reported it before Mobile. That just that's not me. a shock to me. Well, well, it did. I mean, you know, it was right yeah. here. You know, but that that was a horrible, horrible accident that happened within, you you know, minutes of one catastrophe and then boom, here comes the train. And so the, the reason that, it, so I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with the paper, but, uh, they're trying to pressure mobile to throw in 3 million bucks and they'll start rail service again <laughs> through this area. Um, so ain't nobody got time for that. So Rains, bring it back to br- tell Mario us what happened Santobia. to Mr. Santobi after he's a hero and helped and helped us so much over here in Alabama. First and foremost, I mean, we kind of got into the generalities about, you know, fire rescue and first responders and the way people are that do things like that. I in no way think that Mario Santobia was was in any way indicative of the type of person that does heroic things. Anybody, any first person will tell you straight away they're trained to do, and that's what they do. Um, he had a problem with his wife. He had a serious problem with his wife, and I'm going to say this on the record right now. Mario Santoga was a psychopath. He was a hell of a rescue diver, but he was also a maniac. Obviously. And he kidnapped his wife and his daughter and drove them over to Alabama, and he got arrested and convicted of that. And they sent him to jail, and he busted out of jail. He actually overpowered somebody. It was him and, and another guy, right? And he, huh? It was him and another guy overpowered a guard. That's right. And then they shot a deputy and stole his car. Well, the yeah. deputy survived and uh, they got to a rest stop in Pascagoula, Mississippi on I-10 and uh, the, the guy driving the car fell asleep or no, Santobi fell asleep and the guy driving the car hauled ass, you know, and left him there for nothing. And he ended up hitching a ride with a, a Hispanic that was, was dry and, uh, he pulled over in Mississippi. Here's an interesting point in Mario Santobia's story. He got pulled over in Mississippi by Jackson County Sheriff's Department named O.B. Wells. Now, why did that name ring a bell to anybody? I don't know who that is. Me either. O.B. Wells was a, when I knew him, O.B. was a, a the Jackson Sheriff's Department. He was the only sheriff's deputy allowed to carry two guns. He carried two revolvers on his on his on his uh, duty belt. But uh, he was also the father of Josie Wells. 
Josie Wells was a U.S. marshal that was killed in Baton Rouge a couple of years back. So there's a there's a family history of law enforcement there. And this guy, Obi Wells, pulled him over, arrested him with a couple of other people in Harrison County, Mississippi, right before he got to his, his ex-wife's house. And he was on his way to murder her and probably his son, too. Well, he gets thrown back in jail. He gets convicted of escaping and everything else. And guess where he ends up? Alabama. The Etowah County, the Etowah County Correctional Facility for Men. And what happens there? Well, you, you you need to back up because he breaks out again in Mississippi, shoots a an officer uh, on the interstate. Well, that's right. Um, in uh, Tuscaloosa, was, and then killed another police right. officer in a uh, was it Hueytown? Uh, in, uh, just east of Birmingham, uh, Saint Clair. Yeah, in St. Clair County. So anyway, the Etowah yeah. County Jail had just been built. And this guy who was now a cop killer who'd escaped multiple times, where are we going to put him? The brand new Etowah County Detention Center. And so here's what I'm getting at. This, So when I watched this first episode and they said 120 of the locks on the doors didn't work, this facility was designed to be operated by one person in a control room looking at a bank of cameras with a bank of, you know, the, the it's a control panel that a monkey could operate because it has like a, uh, has all the, the pod dimensions and everything on it. So, you, you, you know, you're looking at the board, pushing the button, that door should pop open. There were no uh, uh, buttons in the elevator. You get on the elevator and you look up at the camera and you tell them what floor you want to go to. Um, it was designed to be this way, right? So one morning, just like Shawshank Redemption, they go to do a count and he's just gone. My God, it's a miracle. You know how he got out? One of the people that worked there turned off the cameras and opened the doors for him all the way out. Let him slap out. Now she was in, she'd fallen in love with him, watching him through the camera system back in 2000 i was there it's 2005 and uh now we've got reports it's actually over 200 on doors and the county jail listed and they got people on the show going in and they're going to show you how bad it is and the sheriff said we need the nation to see how bad this is so we can get it fixed well let me tell you this that thing was built to federal correction standards there's never been any problem with the facility. There's always been a problem with the people running it. And it's been since I was there in 2003. And I don't know what it's like now, but if it's anything like what I saw on the television the other night, how's this for a, for a tourism message? You want to go to Gadsden and take the pot and, and, and it, it even be a possibility you get pulled over for a DUI or something and end up in this terrifying place? I, or you take your family out to dinner in Gadsden. Now, why anybody would want to be a tourist in Gadsden, Alabama, is beyond me. But well, they got Mater's Pizza. Place. They got a brewery. There's, it's a nice place. Oh, yeah, uh, an absolute tourist mecca of ninety miles out of the other side of Birmingham. Whatever. But if you happen to be driving through and you stop at a Stucky's Con Log, there's a very good chance that somebody may have busted out that jail and they finna jack your car with you in it. I'm just saying it, it's been a, a it's been a problem from the get go, and it's not the damn building; it's the people operating it. 
And um, well, that's always across the nation you know why because they pay minimum wage they pay ten dollars an hour even which is hardly a living wage for people to work in corrections you know what they don't bring they let you be in there at corrections off in the state of alabama if you had multiple misdemeanors now if you've had violent felonies they don't allow it but if you've had felony drug arrests and you've done your time or whatever guess what you can qualify to be a corrections officer in the alabama bureau of prisons they don't pay nothing. And, and this you got is people the, that have nothing to lose and nothing to gain by letting me out of jail or just gun decking all their checks and everything else. Hell, just look at what happened to Jeffrey Epstein for crying out loud. You think those folks were making Oh, so now so now money? you're on my side on the Epstein thing? The pendulum oh, has swung. I shouldn't open up that can of worms. Yeah, you shouldn't have. You've (laughs) reneged on your position. I love it. So anyway, this is the same jail where, going back to the Andy Griffith law, James Hayes became a multimillionaire, started uh, doing subdivision. He became a developer, started developing subdivisions in Hoax Bluff. And when the damn roads fell in, it turned out the county commission, for some reason, didn't make him put up a bond. So the county had to go in there and fix the roads that the sheriff put in that were substandard in the first place. Go figure. Same thing with the Beach House Sheriff. That money, this whole system was designed to enrich the person in that position. That's it, in a nutshell. Speaking of the Beach House Sheriff, you know, uh, Sheriff Entrican? We've been diving together. (laughs) I know him well. He was one of the the officers that went to Atlanta and arrested Senatobu right after his second attempt after he killed that police officer. Okay, well, so when he escaped and they finally figured out that it was one of their guards in the control room who'd fallen in love with him by watching him on the TV screen and let him out, they knew where he was. So to save face, they let Etowah County go over there and rearrest him. The damn U.S. Marshals were sitting right outside. They knew where he was. It was a photo, BS photo op. Is the only reason you that Entra can put right. the cuffs on Santobi, and the same thing with his execution. You know, I, I know Todd went to that. We talked about it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's, it was a big fit and a great, you know, a great thing. But that girl Donna Baker that let him out of that prison, she let a cop shooter, a cop killer, out of jail. You know how much time she served? Probation. Eighteen months. Oh, she did do eighteen months. At 18 I thought months, it was suspended. behind the fence, went to college for 18 months, went to school, and then she got out on probation because she let a cop killer walk from a, a federal-coded, federal-subsidized corrections facility. There you go. How about that? How about that? Maybe she could get us charged today under that new hate crime statute y'all are filling over in there in Alabama. Right. Give All right. Next so, three uh, years. so let's let's go into this this other great escape. The former Nissan CEO um, hires a bunch of uh, retired Navy SEALs, commandos, whatever you want to call them, and uh, they put him in an AV equipment box, drill some holes in it, and smuggle him out of the country of Japan where he is under indictment. And I don't know if anybody saw the Sean Connery, Wesley Snipes movie, Rising Sun, but um, the conviction rates in Japan are damn near 99%. He went to Turkey, yeah. right? Uh, Lebanon. Lebanon? Yeah, he holds multiple. He's got passports from three different countries. Um, so do I. 
<laughs> my point is made. Um, yeah, so anyway, uh, what's it? Give us his background, Reigns. He, uh, Carlos, I can't, I can't pronounce his name. Carlos Galson. He was a Galson. Carlos Galson was. He was the uh, he was the CFO for Nissan, and he basically got charged in the, a giant racketeering ring and involving extortion and bribery and everything else. I mean, he the guy was a criminal, and uh, well, he was also a criminal who didn't have frozen assets, and because of that, he was able to hire a private security firm to smuggle him out of Japan. Now, I'm here to tell you. $10 million can't fit in a briefcase, all right? But Swiss bank accounts work a certain way, and you got enough money in a Swiss bank account, you can hire anybody to get you out of somewhere. I don't care if they confiscate your passports or not. Arrangements can be made, and that's what happened with this guy. He's gone. He's off the radar. They'll never find him. No doubt. He's funding his life. You know, he's, he's gone. They'll never, Japan doesn't have the resources to try to track him down. I really don't feel like they want to. He's somebody else's problem now. He'll never hold a position, but well, he's on he, Interpol's he, red he, list, so he's not supposed to be able to board a plane without that popping up. Of course, if you you know Interpol's like four guys in France with a 1984 Commodore 64 or something, he's going to have to stay. Oh, Interpol's actually a Interpol's actually a pretty tight force, but don't forget, he's in the Middle East. Where, as we've learned just recently, laws just don't exist. We right. don't need laws at you all. Got, you anything. got the money, you got the laws. All right, Paul, right. tell us about uh, the goings on in Fairhope. Sewer, wreck fees, all that good stuff. <clears throat> well, one of the other things is uh, we've, I've had a couple of people call me and ask me if we would do, if I would, through the RIP report, put the complaints that we filed on uh, Backstory Podcast. And so we're going to have those in a PDF form. One is a complaint against Mr. Councilman Brown there in uh, Fairhope. And then the other one uh, involves uh, uh, Councilman uh, Burrell and the airport scandal that was back in 2016, which we are going to go back into in a great detail. So uh, those two things will be coming up. Uh, one thing that uh, I did see that I thought was very interesting, I just caught a blip of it last night, and I think the county commission here in in Baldwin County ought to look at, and I believe it was the Scambia County uh, commissioners have voted for impact fees for schools. And uh, I think that's about time that something like that comes up. They've got the three mil tax. Crazy talk. Crazy talk, Reigns, don't you think? <clears throat> well, you got Communism. Do, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to do something. You'll never get rid of these portables. You'll never catch up to the infrastructure. And as far as I'm concerned, the developers are not paying their damn fair share of the uh, impact fees. Uh, but anyway, we'll look and see what comes up with that. Um, the only, one other thing I have is the, uh, the recent uh, Alabama Attorney General recently on Monday sent letters to state legislators urging them to oppose legislation that would allow an approved medical providers to prescribe cannabis for parents or patients they believe would benefit from it. Now, you know, this is the part that disturbs me. Listen to these two quotes. Marshall expressed concern about the addiction to marijuana and worried that legislation of medical marijuana in the state would be similar to the problems that the state is facing dealing with treating opioid addiction. 
I mean, come on, people. That's dark ages talk. He goes on to say that the benefits of marijuana have been overstated, and we do not know the risk from long-term marijuana use. How much more study do you need? You know, I mean, this is just ridiculous. He warned of the, of the use and said that he and he's going to push that the uh, legislation uh, be stopped. Now, State Senator Tim Melson, a Republican Florence, chaired the Medical Cannabis Study Commission, which the state put together and is suspected to introduce this legislation, even though Marshall, the, Al- the Alabama Policy Institute, and the Alabama Citizens Action Patrol all have already come out against it. Um, in the ACIA director, Che Garrigan, told the Alabama political reporter, we respect the attorney general, but his frivolous claim that marijuana and opioids are comparable is meritless. Let me let me just point out one thing. Let me that, point out one thing. All right. So, unfortunately, um, and we have to take his perspective seriously because he had a he had a tragedy befall him, right? Correct. Paul? Correct. Correct. His, Horrible his, tragedy. His wife was addicted to opioids. And took her own life. Was it right before he came into it office, was, or right it, after? It was right at the same time, or right after. Right uh, about a year ago. Right. It wasn't long ago. Um, he took about two years when they came in. Yeah. Well, I, and so I'll just tell a little personal aside. Um, I've had uh, two back surgeries. Um, have a very, very good doctor. Uh, actually, Andrew Sports Medicine did my my last back surgery and um, up in St. Vincent's Hospital. And my primary care physician um, actually uh, closed his family practice. And uh, this is the kind of guy he is. He opened the first LGBTQ community clinic in Birmingham. It's called the Magic City Wellness Center. Um, I've been, I, you know, and of course, you know, I'm the only straight guy going into the Magic City Wellness Center up in Birmingham, uh, but I'm not leaving this doctor. He's the best doctor I've ever found. Um, he followed the protocols, um, post-back surgery, uh, gave me the, uh, opioids, uh, per protocol. And, um, you know, I got to where I was taking handfuls of those things. And uh, I was watching, I was actually in a dentist office reading an old Rolling Stones magazine about Heath Ledger's cocktail that killed him. And I'm sitting there looking at it and I'm like, sleeping pills, must relaxers, uh, hydrocodone. And I, so I picked up the phone and called uh, my doctor and he's like, man, you, oh, I didn't know about that. Well, we got to do something about this. So what are you going to stop taking? Well, I really need to sleep. Uh, I'm taking handfuls of these hydrocodones. They don't do a damn thing because I've been taking them for four or five years. And um, so I just cold turkeyed them. And uh, it sh- I, I, I believe it, it would have been easier if I would have had the option to uh, have another option like uh, medical marijuana where you can overdose. Is there? I, I mean, I, I guess you could theoretically 
But has there ever been a medical marijuana overdose that we know of? I, I don't think you can smoke that much at one time, personally. <laughs> you die. Smoke inhalation before you... Carbon yeah, monoxide poisoning before well, the well, weed killed you? You know, you know, the part that gets me about this is that uh, is veterans. Uh, I've spent a lot of time at veterans hospitals and I mean, they've already proven and they're trying to, they're trying to approve medical marijuana now for veterans. So, I mean, we know that it works. I'll give you a real good example. Personally, I've had 14 shoulder operations and I've had my kidney removed because of agent orange. So, I can't take anti-inflammatories. Candy ass. I can't sit here bitching about it. <laughs> I can't take anti-inflammatories for my shoulder, and I can't take certain meds because of the single kidney. And I'm in VA hospital, and one of them told me, he said, "Look, if you could get some mer- medical marijuana, it probably will help you the best." Because my they don't, problem, they don't care if it'll help you, Paul. Well, they they did, but they can't prescribe. So it. so. So here's the game. Let's keep all this stuff illegal so that we can justify locking a bunch of people up. No, we're going to be last. Alabama's going to be last. So I have a proposition for you. Let's legalize marijuana and let's make every other street drug a five-year minimal sentence. How about legalize marijuana, approve medical marijuana, and open up gambling? So let me not let the legislature have any of the money. So let me tell you what goes on in the court system. So you get pulled over, and they, the drug dog alerts, and they go all through your car, and they don't find anything. And they get down in the floorboard, and they find the damn head of, a, you know, Bahia or something. And the police officer looks at it and says, based on my training and experience, I know this is marijuana. Okay? So now that they're selling this CDB hemp or whatever, you know, you can buy CDB oil at the damn junior food store now. When you're gassing up your car, they've got these shops where they sell that stuff, and they sell the flour from the marijuana plant, except it has no THC in it. So now that that stuff's everywhere, how can we rely on the officer's ability to observe that it is a flour from a a, a hemp plant, but it has no THC in it? He can't possibly know that. So we got thousands of rape kits in backlog at the Department of Forensic Sciences, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna back burner all those important cases to test marijuana. I just, I'm just saying the ability to to lock people up for that or having probable cause. You know, I walk up to your car, I smell marijuana. Well, yeah, I bought it at the junior food store. It doesn't have any THC in it. Have a nice day, officer. Right? Need a couple. Well, you know, of- I'm gonna chime in on this. I'm gonna chime in on this because. Full disclosure, I may or may not be under the influence of THC right now. So, uh, I'll go ahead and weigh in on it. Drugs are a multi-billion dollar industry. And in the United States, the war on drugs is a multi-billion dollar industry. People like the legislature in Montgomery don't want to legalize marijuana because that would people out of work. Imagine the number of probation officers, the number of law enforcement officers, the number of drug task force, the number of uh, court reporters who would lose their jobs if Alabama suddenly stopped criminally prosecuting marijuana possession. It would be hundreds and hundreds of people out of work, and nobody wants to do that. 
don't talk don't even talk about Alabama being tolerant. I mean, for crying out loud, y'all outlawed dildos like 20 years ago. Did they ever bring that back to the fold? No, hell no. They don't want y'all to have nothing good in Alabama. That's why you only got two good football teams for crying out loud. Well, one. So the anyway. so the so the literature I've read and what I'm talking about is getting people off opioids and saving their life as opposed to giving them a different opioid, something like uh what do you call that stuff they drink? Uh, methadone, and then turning them loose on the on society, right? Um, I just well, I, I don't understand well, the concept. Uh, uh, so 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 the stat I read was between seven and twenty percent um, of people who who went that went went that way, they saw a, a substantial decrease in the uh, in the overdose rate. Well, now there's been there's been several states, uh, uh, Vermont, Maine. Uh, I know it's up in that area that uh, they have shown a decrease in opioid addiction, and they contribute it to the decriminalization of marijuana. Now that is direct, recorded, and you know when you think about it, if you have the opportunity to take something other than pharmaceutical, it should be looked at because. Pharmaceutical pills are the biggest the the biggest drug abuse is pharmaceutical pills. That is the biggest drug right. abuse. Right. It's not a, you're not a drug dealer if you got MD behind your name. Right. And that's the biggest bunch yeah. of bullshit that's ever been sold to anybody. That's a fact. Now, how many there are nine states in this country, nine out of fifty, where marijuana is still completely illegal. Just well, nine. federally it's completely illegal. But here's the thing. I, I know, but, but the, what Reigns is saying is there's only nine where are totally illegal. Yeah, they, but you you guys got to understand there will never be it will never be safe. Uh, you know where where you know what the source is until it's legalized and people can put their money in the bank and they can make investments in their farms and you understand what I'm saying. Well, that's why they. Well, that's true. It's what like do decriminalizing the- doesn't do anything for me because I wouldn't go buy a dime bag from Jimmy the dipshit that's selling it behind the Walmart. I'm just not, you know, I would buy it from a reputable source where I knew where it came from and they hadn't been spraying roach spray on it to keep the aphids off. Right? Well, you know, aphid, aphids will tear up a weed plant. But anyway, the point is, what, let me, let me ask you this. What state in the union has the or had the worst opiate addiction problem? It's not West Virginia. Pennsylvania, Kentucky. Ohio. I'm thinking nope. Rust Belt. Nope. Where? Number one for heroin addiction was the state of Connecticut. Really? They I thought the all they did heroin- was yacht and drink things with their pinky held out. Well, there's two types of people in Connecticut, those that yacht with their pinkies out and those that don't. <laughs> and that's it. The ones that don't usually end up on heroin. And they had a huge heroin epidemic. So they start saying that they, they passed a law that said it's legal for medicinal marijuana and they reduced the penalties for possession of marijuana. Guess what happened to the heroin problem? It didn't Went vanish away. overnight, but it's definitely fallen off significantly. You can look at the uh, state crime statistics for heroin overdoses and heroin uh, uh, treatments and arrests for heroin in, in, in the state of Connecticut. And you can see that they've gone down. 
there's data out there, there's studies out there. And for somebody, the attorney general of the state of Alabama, where, where, where do y'all find these people? I mean, the chairman of your committee's name toes or something like that. Where do y'all find these guys and put them in Montgomery? And that boy is addictive as marijuana. Does he not believe in science? He's one of the same that doesn't believe in climate change. No, I'm real, I'm real disappointed because uh, Alabama's the one that set up the Medical Cannabis Study Commission. They set up the commission to regulate, to look at it, to study other states. So for him to just come out and ignore all of that, uh, I mean, you know. And I to don't have had it. a personal tragedy. Okay, so yeah. here's what we did. We gave these drug companies and doctors the ability to hook 20% of the population on opioids. Then once people start dying in droves, we say, oh, we've got to do something about all these people. You know, in the in and of course in uh our short sighted fashion, the way we're gonna do it is we're gonna shut it down. Okay, well do you think those twenty the twenty percent of our population just said, Oh, I'm gonna quit doing drugs because they're not I can't get them from my doctor? Hell no. They turn to street drugs. They turn to fentanyl. They turn to black tar heroin like it's 1977 Um, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand the logic in this war on drugs. I, I understood it when it was absolute, and here we go. Now that we know more about it, and we know we've been sold a bill of goods, and now it's, it's led to the militarization of our police forces because when you make something contraband, the people who dealing contraband are criminals right and it's going to be a right. lot and it's going to be a lot more, it's going to be a lot more difficult too when uh when the next state over is legal this state's illegal well, that florida has legal. medical marijuana legalized well that's what i'm saying There's yeah just, it's going to cause a lot more I, I i see i see them being forced into it later but reigns is right it's uh it's the individuals that are in there i mean uh I mean, man, Marshall sounds like a dinosaur. Anyway, let's move on. From yeah, that. he's like 50. Yeah, yeah. all that old. Well, all no, right, that's so, what I mean. So uh, can you give me a shot? Can you give me a shot of my you map know. over here? A shot of what? Uh, we're we're turning to the map. We we've, we salvaged it from the attic. So um, if you will notice the green area... Uh, along the right-hand border of Baldwin County. Um, that is the border between uh, Alabama and Florida, uh, east of Baymanette. The green-shaded area is the um, Perdido River Wildlife Management Area. And um, so that shows you just how close we are to Florida. On the other side of that green line is medical marijuana. Um <laughs> So th this article is by John Mullen in the Lanyap, and it's called Land Grab. Um, apparently, uh, the Gulf Coast Ecosystem Rest Restoration Council, that's a mouthful, um, has prioritized and greenlit this $28 million project. They're going to add to this wildlife management area between ten and 12,000 acres creating a recreational corridor from where it begins all the way down to some property that, that the state already owns down towards Seminole on Perdido Bay. So we're finally, um, and I've been, you know, going down that river since I was in Boy Scouts and before that with my granddaddy just fishing. 
And so I know what a great resource it is. It's a, it, it is, um, it's a beautiful body of water and I'm very proud that the, um, that, that it's being recognized as such. Now, um, if this gives you any indication of how much the county commission overpaid for the mega site, if you'll, uh, you, you still looking at the map over there. So there's a, a gray shaded area to the Northeast of Bay Manette. Uh, I'm assuming that it's showing up. You see that little gray area. Can you make it out on the camera, Nick? So, uh, anyway, that is 3000 acres that we paid uh 30 some odd million dollars for. And, uh, they're going to buy, uh, three times that property for 28 million. Just as a comparison. Hell, we got a map. We might as well use it, right? So we'll keep you informed about that and keep our ear to the ground. Um, the next article is by Jason Johnson. And I actually met Jason the other night. So uh, there was a coal ash, um, hip, what I call a hippie get-together down at Five Rivers. The damn Sierra Club put it on. And uh, I didn't see – not everybody had dreadlocks, but you know the crowd. And uh, so it, I walked in and uh, was asking around what was the program, and I really just wanted to snag their, you know, uh, pamphlets, information, because I, I'm really looking for an expert on this coal ash stuff to come on here and tell us definitively if I should be putting it in my morning coffee or if it's the toxic residue that I believe it is. Um, anyway – but you have that picture up? You have uh, it? Well, so, you know, I uh, I really wanted to go to uh, uh, that the other night, but I was having a sinus issue. But if you look at the picture, this is one of the first pictures I've seen of the um, power plant, the Berry power plant there, and the river the way that it is. I've seen a lot of other pictures, but this is the most startling when you look at it that all of this is within that circle there. You know you got leakage from the li river already just by gravity or whatever, groundwork. Just imagine if this is released. If this is released, this will be worse than BP. And we have Alabama Power just telling us to look the other way. Oh, everything's cool. There's no problem. Uh, people in Mobile and Baldwin County ought to be horrified at this situation. And be it the... Uh, uh, Sierra Club or whoever, uh, I hope that they're still out there and they're still banging at it the same way as uh, Baykeepers is and trying to bring this to to light. So this was a roundabout way to get to this article, but Jason was there, and I'd never met him before. You know, he wrote the article about the uh, my run-in with the, Correct. the sheriff or whatever, and, Correct. and I'd never met him. I just talked to him on the phone. So when I saw him, I said, well, man, you got this covered. I'll just I'll, I'll read the article. So uh, anyway, he wrote a, he wrote another article that was in last week's landing out called "Guarded Optimism," and uh, here we're talking about the uh, uh, oyster season that we have going on down here in, in Mobile Bay. Now, uh, you know, there's several things that have led to the uh, demise of Mobile Bay as ecosystem. Uh, you know, years ago they used to go along with this. Uh, this little scooper conveyor belt thing, and they they got out, they vacuumed up all the uh, oyster shells and other shells off the bottom of Mobile Bay to to use in uh, construction driveways, things like that. And of course, um, they've spent millions of dollars and years and years trying to rebuild the reefs. And it looks like everything is going good. Prices are up. Uh, Mississippi and Apalachicola are 
not doing well. They don't they don't have they're not having a good season. So our guys around here are are slaying it right now. But um, Nick, do you have that uh that graph? So this this kind of all goes together. Um, right now the water is on the rise. Um, wh- wh- how many feet's it going to, Nick? You're looking at it. Yeah. So so oh, okay, I got it. It's nine point seven six. It's going to ten feet. And um, I don't know if if have you shown them that that picture that Paul had with the. Okay, so um. That water is going to get right up next to the top of that that dike. Uh, very close. Um, so, anyway, this is what we keep an eye on around here when we're deciding if we're going to buy oysters. We want to see how much fresh water is coming down the rivers, getting into the bay. Um, and also, making my point again, this high water that comes, it's at the same latitude as my hunting camp. Um one day we will have a high water event and a and a hurricane or a high tide confluence, and it will top these dikes. And there's, just that no, there's no no two ways about it. And these this dike this pond that you're looking at, it doesn't have any lining. They just went out there and started scooping to make a place to put this. There's no liner yep. there. You know, it's alluvial deposits from it's sand and gravel left. It's an old riverbed and the idea that it provides any kind of protection, the water rain is falling on it is seeping through and carrying these heavy metals into the groundwater. There's no doubt about it. Their own damn leach at wells show it. And if it gets to the oysters, you'll have none of the oysters. <laughs> oysters will be the, uh, <clears throat> the least of our problems. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I read a little bit about that, uh, about your record oyster harvest, and I was pretty impressed. And I said, that's that's a great windfall for the state of Alabama. But then I heard that, the, you know, normally you'd pay $35, $40 for a sack of oysters, but apparently all the oysters have been pre-bought. And uh, some organization has been buying the heck out of them, and I think it's because uh, – you know, oysters are so are oysters be. the new diamonds? You talking about like some OPEC or De Beers is trying to control the oyster market? No, because oysters are an aphrodisiac, and I believe I'd look into the Fairhope Rotary Club. Uh, possibly <laughs> took you a long time to get there, man, but I'm glad you got there. Mobile <laughs> Bay, and they need to be careful too because if they keep flushing their toilets in the Mobile Bay, it's going to straighten out that river right up there. I didn't think about that. that taking all the bends out of the river. All right, so I want to talk about a uh, my old scoutmaster, Red Wilkins. Uh, his the legacy of his life apparently is going to be North Baldwin's No Kill Animal Shelter. Um, he and his wife Judy have spent uh, no telling how much money and time, and it really is his passion. Uh, Paul, did did you catch this article? I, and and of course, this is a uh, our friend in common, uh, Taylor Wilkins' parents, right? Right. Red, Red, and Judy. And uh, Red was my scoutmaster. He's a he's a uh, one of our venerable. Um, older statesman's attorneys around town is how I would describe Red. And uh, just a, a, a lovely couple and a really nice story, and I hope everybody will go out and pick up the new Lanyap. It's, it's actually the front page uh, front page story 
is about their uh, their no kill animal shelter up here in in North Baldwin. And I admire what they're doing too, because I've met a lot more animals that I like than I do people. And so I grew up. Uh, I was one of the last people that grew up quail hunting. We always had a quail dog, and 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 Red always had Springer Spaniels that he trained. Uh, and so, you know, had that connection with him when I when I went into scouting, and I, I knew Mister Wilkins. I knew you didn't want to sit by him in a damn dove field because he was a dead eyed dick with a shotgun. Um, and I knew that he dog hunted, and that's really all I knew about Mister Wilkins. Now he was on the. Uh, what year? Uh, I, Alabama's won so many damn national championships. He was, I believe, he was a tight end for the Bear in the nineteen. What? What year would that have been? Hmm. Back oh, in the fifties. Late fifties, I want to say. Yeah, so he was on a national championship team. Uh, real nice article about them. Everybody, please check it out. All right, Reigns, this one's on you, man. The Orange Beach Turquoise Palace condo debacle. You, you I think you and uh, Rip are up on that. I'm not. So, Paul, won't you I'm tell us tell about you. it? Or Reigns, go for you it. Want to, you want to let developers come in and pay impact fees to fund your schools? Take a good look at what's happening in Orange Beach right now. Good point. There's two things as criminal in this country. You don't shoot cops and you don't mess with developers. Developers have deep pockets. They are villains and they are never, ever, ever after the right thing in your community. And what's happening right now is the city of Orange Beach shook down this developer when they sold him this land and said, well, you're going to have to pay maybe, oh, I don't know, let's just shy of half a million dollars in uh, permit fees. That's it. And they shook him down for about half a million dollars. And weren't and they, they said, supposed to put in uh We're gonna put in a fire station, we're gonna put in a, right. a beat crossing, we're gonna put in a, a we're gonna use the easement on one side of your property for emergency vehicle uh access to the beach and and across the street we're gonna build a fire station, some other stuff. Well, guess what? Here we are ten years later, and the city of Orange Beach hadn't done none of that. You wanna take a gander at why? I would imagine that that $400,000 very likely didn't go to the public service department or the public works department of Orange Beach. It likely went in somebody's pocket or many people's pocket. And now this developer is calling the note. He said, look, you hadn't done what you said you'd do in the contract. So guess what? According to the contract, that property goes back to me. Now, do you think that developer is going to build a fire station? You think he's going to build a dune walk? You think he's going to do anything for the people of Orange Beach? Absolutely not. He's going to take that money and he's going to do what he wants with it because this time the law is going to be on his side. So before you start deciding education with impact fees from developers, maybe keep that in mind. All right. So um, was this the same project where Russo and, and crew? I can't remember if that was or not. I can't believe uh, I can't remember the name of that project. Four, I think, or 05. I can't remember. But I, I, that's one of the better projects on um, Orange Beach. For oh, sure. hey, man, it's for a, sure. It's impressive. Um, yep. <clears throat> but but the other thing too in Orange Beach and Gulf Shores, you'll find that uh, some developers are on the good list and some are on the bad list for the city. They'll let some do one thing, some do another, and I think that's part of what's going on too. Is that. Uh, you know, Absolutely. some people are allowed to do what they want, and here they've had just fed up. They want it either done or they want their money back. 
Just think about that next time you think, well, impact fees from developers are going to fund building a new schoolhouse. Just think about what you're selling out to get that. Don't, well, you think I'm, they build schoolhouses on top of coal ash? You think they build them in, on farmland in Fairhope? Well, you, you almost, think anybody will redo the schools in Baldwin County, Alabama, based on impact fees while they're selling away Gulf Shores? Ain't Forget, gonna, about <laughs> Forget about it. Forget about it. Well, uh, a little bit of levity as, as well as, and this is going to be grandparents or anybody's got a seven or eight year old. This is a, an article is written by, um, is hidden agenda by Ashley Trice. This is Lanyap commentary a couple of weeks ago, about a week or so ago. And it's called a special place in hell. And I don't know if anybody's had this experience, but if you got a seven or eight year old girl, I guarantee you have, and that's the toy called the L O L surprise. And I've had firsthand experience at this. It is absolutely mind-boggling. I, it's the, one of the best things I've ever seen as far as marketing. What it is basically is a little ball, and they sell it, and you open the ball, and then there's little surprises in it. Well, the ball can start out at four ninety-five. Then they got fourteen ninety-five. Then they got a twenty-four ninety-five, and there's nothing in it but junk. The whole thing is to open the ball. And just to tear it all apart to see what's in it, it makes a hell of a mess. It will drive you insane if you're dealing with them. And then when you go and see, you're paying fourteen ninety five for this, you know, little paper ball. But the marketing on it is absolutely incredible. It's because these kids are on these iPads and and they're watching YouTube videos and everything about the excitement of this. Uh, LOL surprise. So if you get a chance, read the article, though. I thought it was real funny. It had me laughing all the way through because I, I felt the same anger, I can tell you. All right, so we ready to get to the to the meat of the podcast? Uh, yeah, and then I'll finish up with this. All right, so um, there's a new feature film that details the capital conviction secured here in Baldwin County. Um, it's being released nationwide this week. Um, it was tried here in 1998, and uh, the name of the movie is Just Mercy, starting, yep. starring Michael B. Anderson and Academy Award winner Jamie Foxx and Brie Larson. tells the story of Walter... Johnny D. McMillan, who was convicted in 1980 for the 1986 murder of an 18-year-old Rhonda Morrison in a dry cleaner uh, just north of here up in Monroeville in Monroe County. The movie is based off a 2015 memoir of the same name written by attorney uh, Brian Stevens. Uh, the twists and turns are too numerous to detail in this space, but in 1995, journalist and author Pete Early published a book called Circumstantial Evidence, Death, Life, and Justice in a Southern Town, which documented most details and went on to win the Robert F. Kennedy Book Award and Edgar Allan Poe Award for Best crime fiction, uh, best Fact Crime Book. Um, so do we have that? Uh, do we have a video of this, Nick? Do we cue anything up for this? No. Um, I... I'd encourage you to at least go take a look at the trailer. Um, Reigns, tell me um, what exactly you know about this case. Um, now, I, I can I can give a little bit of a 
th- skeletonized thumbnail. Um, there was a girl that was murdered at the dry cleaner store. Seven right. months later, um, they come up with a, a shitbird career criminal who says, I, I was in the truck. I was the getaway driver, and the body was over here. And um, then they found another guy uh, who, who, who would say he saw the truck there in front of the dry cleaner when, in fact, this man was at a damn fish fry with a bunch of people from church. And the truck, they say, was there, and it was a low rider. There's an old redneck fella, uh, one of my people, that lowered the truck. And he claims that he didn't, he didn't uh, mess with the transmission or the suspension on that truck until six months after that girl died. So they have right. no witnesses, right? They they confront the district attorney with all this information. Now he did change his tune, and if you watch the movie, they soften uh, what Ed Bradley showed of uh, former district attorney Tommy Chapman. Now I worked with Tommy. I was the county administrator, two thousand one to two thousand three in Connecticut County, and that's one of the two counties in his uh, judicial district where he was the district attorney. Um, go watch that thing. He's obstinate about it. Now, I think at some point something changed his mind. Probably the fact that he was depicted as a racist moron on national television that might have had something to do with it. Well, this is uh, uh 1988. So tell, so, so give us the, give us the, uh, who. Tell us the Baldwin County connections, and I'll tell you where these people are now. Well, the. Uh, uh, of course, this, the Just Mercy article, this is in Lanyap. This is uh, Gabe Times again that uh, wrote this, and uh, really you should watch the, uh, the trailer. But the prosecution the, the prosecution was receiving help from the Baldwin County District Attorney right, so, at the so time. Let, let, okay, so the, so the 28th Judicial, or it's not the 28th. I, I don't know what just judicial circuit it was that it was in, but they – they asked that the court change venue correct from Escambia to Connecticut County, which would have been in the same district, just would have had different demographics, a um, lot, lot more uh, black folks in Connecticut County. 50, than, 50% there. And- so what does the judge do? He says, I agree. We need to move venue. So they send it to Baldwin County where it's 60, uh, 16% minority 16%. at the time. Yeah, so keep going. And, and the prosecution was receiving help from the Baldwin County District Attorney at that time was David Whetstone, and his, a student, his assistant, Lynn L. Stewart, who had been assigned to help Ted Pearson prosecute the case. So Lynn Stewart, who's an ADA at the time under Whetstone, is assigned to help the prosecutor who put together this sham miscarriage of justice against this man. So guess where she was up until last year? She was the where? chief justice of the Alabama Supreme Court. Guess where she is now that she lost the election? <laughs> She's one of the three members of the Alabama Ethics Commission. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make this up, I'm telling you. And you hey, hey Reigns, and when she ran for office, you know what? you know what one of the plugs was? That she's got a revolver under that gown. She's yeah. a gun-toting girl from Atmo. Well, now, you know, the 
the jury was 10 whites and two blacks. Now remember they moved it to where there was only 16 black, 16% black representation. It came all the way down here. Got the district attorney helping them. It was 10 whites and two blacks were seated comprising of eight men and four women. Now here's what gets me. The four person was Doris Hanson, a white woman who owned a flower shop who lived next door to Whetstone, the district attorney. I mean, this is just too crazy. Now, Macmillan was... No, it's not. It, it sound, if I'd never heard this story before, I wouldn't be shocked by a damn, not one no, damn detail, no, Paul. No, I wouldn't either. Macmillan was found guilty upon sentencing. The same Baldwin County jury recommended he spend life in prison. But in a decision paving the way for the appeal process that eventually freed him, Judge Key overrode that, overrode the jury's recommendation and sentenced McMillan to death. So the judge actually, when he erred, that gave McMillan a chance of getting out and this all coming to light. But sad, sad story, and I agree with Harry. Just you could we could pick out another ten just like this uh easily uh in uh, Alabama. Let me go out on a limb here and tell you fellers a little bit about that. Do you know that racism feed that man? Racism cut Johnny D. You want to know why? Because he was. Because <laughs> the reason. He got... Yeah, we we left out that. We 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 left out that wrinkle. Uh, they they. One of the witnesses against him was a was a uh, now he's an African American man, right? And um, he oh, was ca- and he was married and had nine oh. children, and he was carrying on with a white woman, which they were sure to tell the jury about, right? Mm-hmm. Not not that Absolutely. it mattered but one damn bit. To, had anything to do with the crime he was a, a, a alleged to have committed, but we got to we got to slip that in there somewhere how they described her to the jury. It's absolutely right. You didn't slip in there. Was that about three years before that? And I'm fanning myself like Atticus filled up on his porch. About three years before that, the same community, they had white we got murdered. They was just sure that it was a man of color who had done it, but they couldn't prove it. So the DA... And the chief of police told his detectives, you better find me some strange fruit in one tree or say no to get it. And that road, Johnny D. And they sent one up, and that's why the judge said, forget life. We're going to give him the needle because he may not have helped that other woman, but God, we going to hang one for doing it. Yeah, you're breaking up pretty bad, dude. Yeah. So, so when you oh shit, no, you you got to get better internet, Reigns. <laughs> so sorry, sorry, folks. Sorry. Uh, well, so you can imagine a situation where they have a high-profile crime. There's a young lady from a from a very good family who shot dead and there's no evidence and there's no, there's, you know, uh, there, there, there's no suspect. So, um, and 
and, and it sounds to me like one of the real villains in this thing was this ABI agent who approached um, the turkey neck in the Ball County Jail and convinced him uh, to fabricate the story about being the wheel man. And it just, it, it yeah. n- nothing about this story surprises me. So I'm going to tell something. And uh, I think the statute of limitations is run where I don't have to worry about this, but it was before so. I was a lawyer. So I was the county administrator there. And I have to say this, I did like Tommy Chapman. He was a likable person. And, uh, you know, this was a place of a bygone era where on Wednesday afternoons, the town shut down and all the men in town would either, depending on the time of year, we had a had a, a dove hunting club where we paid farmers to keep their fields. We'd go out there and dove hunt on Wednesday afternoons. Or either everybody went to the Evergreen Country Club and played golf or cards or whatever. Um just a different kind of place. And of course, Mr. Chapman was one of the people who came over and, uh, I used one of the chairs from his office to escape from my office in the courthouse. I had to go out the window because one of the sheriff's deputies was trying to kick the damn door off the hinges. Um, we'll, we'll get, uh, either, uh, Connie Baggett who wrote a story about it at the time in 2004 or five or, uh, Robert Bozeman from the Evergreen current to come tell that story. Cause nobody would believe it if I told it. Um, but his his office was right across, uh, right next to the uh, to the county courthouse, and uh, he personally owned the building that the county leased from him for the DA's office to occupy. Uh, no conflict there. And I couldn't figure out, you know, it was just it, it was an office. It was it was a building that had like four office suites in it. And after a little bit of investigation, it turns out there was only one power meter, one water meter, one gas meter, and the county was paying for all those suites to, you know. And it wasn't, of course, it wasn't Tommy's decision. It was the county commission's decision to rent that property, right? Like I said, uh, nothing surprises me. All right. All right, Paul. It's on you, man. All right. What's last you? last thing I got is uh want to remind everybody, I know this is going to excite everyone. Alabama's first congressional district election is coming up. Uh, you're going to have a run- primary on March 3rd. Right now there's five candidates in the um, uh, Republican side and three in the Democratic side. Uh, this is a seat that was held by uh, Republican Bradley Byrne, who's running for the Senate seat in 2020. And uh, we're going to be trying to get with some of these candidates to see which one uh, we favor going in. At this time, it's Jerry Carl. Uh, I've noticed that uh, some of the other candidates have got their signs in the Fairhope area on the good old boys' property, so we'll be looking at that. I can tell you that one of the things that I'd like to see changed is uh, Joe Bonner uh, was the congressman before Bradley Byrne and the one thing I'll say about Joe is that his uh, VA representation for veterans was excellent. I mean, you wrote a letter, you got a reply. You got you made a phone call, you got a reply. I mean, immediate, immediate. And uh, it really did help a lot of people. Once Bradley got in, it just totally tanked. I mean, it just completely went down the toilet uh, 
veterans getting any res- any response out of his office has been very poor. So whoever goes into that seat, uh, we're going to be trying to push him to do more for veterans. And we'll be asking probably uh, Jerry Carl to come on one of our uh, podcasts. Mr. Carl, you might know, was in the MPO on the uh, mobile side, and he's one of the ones that uh, – stood up for the no tolls on the um, bayway, uh, the I-10, uh, the bridge toll. And that really did, him doing that kind of set up the MPO over in Baldwin County to vote the same way, and that's what ultimately killed the uh, toll bridge. So keep that in mind. And uh, like I said, we'll be asking some of these people to come on the air and You'll hear more for them, and we're going to be getting more and more into uh, politics on the congressional and Senate areas. And then, uh, as you know, in July is the municipal election qualifications, and August, the election in municipalities. So um, we're going to have some changes this year, and I can tell you that the politics in the uh, Baldwin County and Fairhope area are going to get very, very hot, particularly Fairhope. Okay, so here's here's my voter's guide uh, for the upcoming election cycle. And this is an educated opinion, I think, and I don't think I'm being too harsh on the guy. Um, the one person you should definitely not vote for in the uh, upcoming uh, Senate race is Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III. Now, let me tell you why. What did, Range, you got any idea what he did, uh, where he cut his teeth, where he got his reputation? Range's not there. You lose him? My okay. Idea. So, uh, he was the um, United States Attorney for the Southern District of Alabama, from 1981 to 1993, right? He was a federal prosecutor for right here. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, then he goes to the Senate for how long? 20 years. Um, And then he becomes attorney general. Now, what kind of knowledge do you think this man has about all the crooked, corrupt horseshit going on in South Alabama. And what does he do when he has the prime opportunity to do something about it? He's made Attorney General of the United States February of 2017, and he stays in that position until November of 2018. Have you heard of anything about the Justice Department looking at anything in his old stomping grounds? Nothing. Nothing. So, Mr. Sessions... You have served your country, and, and we thank you for your service. Um, and a, another one of my positions is I'll never vote for anybody over 70 again. And don't let the door hit you. Well, there you go. I'm at, um, and it's almost as, as foolhardy as thinking we're going to uh, send some novice like Tuberville up there, you know? You need new candidates, like to see a lot more women, some minorities, people that are more interested in public service than what they can get out of the position because that's what we got right now. We have a lot of politicians. Uh, we have the entire city council of Fairhope 
has got their fingers in something or another that they shouldn't have. So do you do you think Jefferson Beauregard Sessions the third, being the attorney general for the Southern District of Alabama, knew anything about the 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 prosecution um, chronicled in Just Mercy? Oh, do you think he'd know, he do you think he'd know about something like that going on in his jurisdiction? The one thing I noticed that they never want to tackle political corruption. You know, they're going to do anything they can. You can send them a 200-page document of a complaint, and they'll send you back one letter that says, oh, well, they, they don't see anything. You, you just, you know, it's they're just not going to rat each other out, I guess. That's what it is. And and as long as you got that problem and no term limits, that's, and that's what you're going to get. And the candidates... A lot of the candidates that uh, uh, run are not are not qualified. You nutshelled it, man. So um, I'm gonna give I'm I'm gonna give my last little uh, bit of advice, and it was something that my granddaddy told me a long time ago, Granddaddy Steele, um, about drinking, and it and it and it translates into, I guess it could be marijuana if you want to put it that way. Or any other kind of recreational substance. You know, alcohol can be a great companion, but it's a terrible master. And I think that's the same way with, with any kind of uh, chemical um, that, that gives you some kind of euphoric feeling. Um, it's a terrible master. Don't overdo it. I don't care what it is. Uh, do you agree with that? I totally agree, and I tell you, alcohol's far. If you're talking about marijuana, alcohol's far, far worse than marijuana. Far worse, and people are fooling themselves as they think that it is. So, one more international issue that just sprung to mind: uh, the day after uh, the uh, Iranians uh, sent missiles over to uh, Iraq to the air base to try to kill Americans, looks like. They shot down their own damn uh, airliner. Well, the, the with it, a surfaced air missile. It was going to Ukraine. They had two uh, commercial planes that went out that morning. Neither one of them had any problem. On the third plane that went out, I don't know if it was over a different geographic area or whatnot, but they fired two missiles. A lot of those batteries, uh, those uh, firing batteries are, you know, working on computer and stuff like that. So they're getting notified. Here's a plane, here's a plane. And, you know, some guy shoots off two missiles. So now we've got Russia that shot down a commercial jet and Iran that shot down a commercial jet. So, uh, you know, it just, it, and, and there was notices that went out to American airliners not to fly in the area, to stay completely out of the area. So it makes you wonder how many, uh, why they didn't get a notice. And the other thing I thought was very interesting, I'll do a little research and find out, is that um, a good bit of the passengers, a third or half of the passengers, were Canadian. So I don't know what the, uh, Canada's interest is in Ukraine, but evidently it must be. But uh, our prayers go out to all those people, and uh, I don't know, it's just a, tragedy of war some people want to say oh it's collateral damage 170 something people dying is not collateral damage folks so finally gulf coast uh newspapers uh if you go to their website gulfcoastnewstoday.com they have an article gulf coast uh, coastal alabama community college new, new president speaks at first friday forum 
And uh, what I want people to do is go look at the picture. Um, you got three guys in their 70s who are uh, the the chairman of the uh, chairman of the ACCS board. Um, then uh, Dr. Pouncey, uh, the new president, and then the chancellor. And uh, it could just as easily be, um, you know, a, a, a funeral home ad is what it looks to me like. Um, you know, like... back in the day, what, the, what do you think the average age of a college president is uh, today compared to 1965? No idea, probably. Well, it's gone from an average of about a 40-year-old to the average of about a 75-year-old. All you guys your age, Paul, y'all are hanging in there way too long. We thank you for your service. Take your retirement. It's that way. And the golf course is that way. Right. And more younger people got to get involved. This affects you more than well, anybody it, else. Well, okay, so you're a 35-year-old. You have a Ph.D. You've been the dean of something somewhere to even be up for the president's job. How do you compete with a guy with that's been the president at a – I don't know, pick a G- Lurleen B. Wallace Junior College for 35 years. Right. That's, well, you can't. That's been handpicked. It's hard to break in. Yeah. And uh, this new chancellor and his his ties to his law, his his former employer, who who is now uh, receiving millions of dollars in work from the secondary education system. Of course, nobody's looking at that. What the what the hell are you talking about, Rip? That's just crazy talk. Mm-hmm. Thinking that there there's something improper about that. You know that the uh, bid law excludes professional contracts, so they can hire whoever they want and pay them whatever they want. And there's no ethical conundrum whatsoever. Well, you're in Alabama. You can complain. Investigations go nowhere. No one goes to jail. No one's held accountable. And all you're doing is uh, encouraging more corruption by those individuals. So guess what David Whetstone's doing now? Probably an advisor to some sort. He, oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, I know. The, the other night, they, yeah. they, they were. Uh, he's the legal analyst for Channel 5 News. Mm-hmm. Don't you think they'd be interested to know about his hand in this <clears throat> miscarriage of justice, which is a very benign way of saying what happened? Yeah, I love, I love these cases uh, like uh, Max Sherry's uh, where everything's on video and then you got the, the Spanish, mayor, mayor of Spanish, Spanish Fort. Fort all on video and we're all looking at the video. You can see the video and then and, uh, we're going to be told that what we're seeing is not really what we're seeing. So we're going to see how all this plays out, I guess. But this is Alabama, so I, nothing would surprise me at all. And so finally... Pivoting on this coastal Alabama community college issue, this is one that's coming up, and I've been I burned up the internet and the phones yesterday working on it. The Southwest Alabama Police Academy opened down here in conjunction with Faulkner State Community College in 1971, and operated that way until 2006, when the examiners of public accounts were called in, and they found that. One of the employees there, they were buying sports apparel from a company that her husband owned, which if you if they did more than $7,500 worth of business with any one vendor for anyone or bought one particular item, um, that should have been bid. Well, they either didn't know or weren't aware, however you want to say it, um, 
and they got in trouble over it. Uh, the examiners came in. Typically, the examiners of public accounts come in every year and audit you and give you an exit audit, and they say, hey, by the way, um, you didn't follow the bid law here, and you need to. that's a corrective action. You need to make sure it doesn't happen anymore. Well, instead of doing that, um, they indicted both of the employees down there. Um, it turns out that uh, the APOST, the Alabama uh, Police Officer Standards Commission, uh, in their enabling legislation, they're only allowed to hire two employees. So it's the executive secretary who's a – we'll get into that uh, in the next episode. But um, he had he was the police chief in Ozark, Alabama. He gets tapped to head the A-Post Commission. So he uses money from SWAPA to hire his buddy from Ozark to be their investigator. And he's the guy who comes down and investigates – I mean, it's just the craziest crap you've ever heard of. Uh, and and so here's the real story. SWAPA goes under. They don't hire anybody to reopen it. Um, so the Alabama legislature appropriated this money so that Baldwin County would have a APO certified school whereby a green recruit would come in and leave a certified APOS police officer. So guess what's going on now? The sheriff's department down at their pistol range down here by the Golden Triangle by uh, uh, Mayor Will's bungalows that MBU owns. You know what I'm talking about. Steelwood. Yeah. Um, they build a building next to the firing range, and that is now the A-Post uh, Baldwin County site. We have, There's one person who is paid directly, uh, is my understanding, uh, by the county commission, uh, the secretary, and then... Uh, some of the sheriff's department employees, they get reimbursed for their time when they're doing instructions there. So my question is, where's this five hundred grand that was that we were supposed to be spending to have a police academy here? Because now, so so when they prosecuted these people, um, and I've read through all the trial transcripts, guess who the prosecutor was? Who? State Senator Matt Simpson. Guess who the chancellor of the secondary education system was at the time? Congressman Bradley Byrne. Guess who the examiner of public accounts uh, auditor was? Well, hell, I can't remember her name. <laughs> but by the time they get to trial, she's now she's no longer a, just a, a, an auditor for the examiners of public accounts. She's now the chief financial officer for Bishop State Community College. <sighs> Can't make this up. So what happened to the money? Because at the time, there were only three employees of A-Post. So guess how many they got now? I found this out because I called up there and tried to get somebody on the damn phone yesterday. How much? How many? Ten. So where? So so are they taking the money that, the, that was appropriated so that Baldwin County would have a facility to train new recruits and make them certified officers? Is that where that money's going? Who who are they answerable to? That's a real good. That's a real good question. I know. And then if you go and ask, the, and they'll ask, "What is your business?" And asking. <laughs> well, we're gonna get to the bottom of this. I've been corresponding with the sheriff trying to get some answers, and he, I don't think he knows. Maybe good luck. maybe we'll find out from some of our state representatives who sponsored the legislation. All right, boys and girls, that's it for today. I hope y'all have a good one. I have to go to. Uh, I got to go to work.
What are, what are you doing this weekend, Paul? Um, getting you some Viagra at the well, bike ride, the Fairhope Rotary yeah, bike yeah, ride. Yeah, I got to get on that Rotary uh, site as soon as I get off here. I, I like that big blue on there advertised. I do too. <laughs> All right. Well, y'all have a good weekend. Uh, the, what number are we on? 17. 17. 18, my lucky number next week. All right. Well, I hope you make it till then. I hope you make it home without a ticket. Good luck with that. Me too. See y'all. How many minutes? <laughs>